Halloween Horror Nights is a little different in Japan than in the U.S. That's coming up on today's show. From the Haunted Attraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is our 61-day Hauntathon, where we're counting down to Halloween by celebrating haunted houses daily via videos, podcasts, and VIP experiences. Since this podcast is only part of this year's Hauntathon, the best way to follow along is by subscribing to our newsletter, where you'll get weekly updates, or by going to our website at hauntedattractionnetwork.com and clicking on the Hauntathon 2023 link. Today's episode is a replay from our sister show called Green Tag Theme Park in 30, and in it, I'm discussing my experience at IAPA Presents Universal Studios Japan. Specifically, we're going into the details of the Halloween programming and the IP experiences that they really bring to life in Japan. So, without further ado, here is Scott and I from Green Tag Theme Park and 30 discussing Halloween at Universal Studios Japan. From our studios in Los Angeles and Tampa, this is Green Tag Theme Park and 30. I'm Philip, and as always, I'm joined by Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development. Hello, Scott. Hello, Philip. Welcome back to the United States. You've been uh, you've been traveling abroad for a while. Yeah. So between the this last recording when I was on my way to the airport, and I just got back last night, I went to Japan and and then I had a layover in Hong Kong, and I went there. To see the Halloween events, of course, yes, of course. And of course, I spent my 12-hour layover running to taking a taxi to Hong Kong Disneyland, which was a journey, an odyssey in and of itself. But I went to Universal for the IAPA Presents Universal Studios Japan, which was a a fantastic event put together by the Asia-Pacific region there. And it had education and it had tours and whatnot. And what I did was I really wanted to talk about this event on the show, so course i took notes as as i do during the presentation uh meticulous notes and i what i meticulous notes. what yes. i tried to do and i've cre- created a spreadsheet with various tabs and yeah oh yes no, I, yes I, I know you really truly uh so what i tried to do then was take the big big key takeaway moments they mentioned in the presentation and then make sure that the next day when i was there um and then the following day when i was there meeting with the team that i made sure to go to those experiences so i can speak firsthand about, you know, what they were talking about in the presentation, right? So. so in other words, here's what they said, here's what they did. Yes. Are they in line? Are they in line? Yep. And then what can we take away for our audience? So, so oh. yeah. So, so basically the presentation, Tom Merman, our old, uh, old buddy, Tom, uh, he kicked it off and uh, he gave us some background, just kind of underlying the importance of USJ. He said that one in five visitors to Japan actually attend USJ, which really, really underscores, you know, that they're a cornerstone for the market and underscoring that it's the number three most visited uh, theme park in the world. And he talked about they have them having three pillars as a management and creative team to become the destination of choice, the employer of choice, and to give a return to shareholders. That's kind of basic, right? His, in his, I think in their view, Becoming a destination of choice means staying culturally relevant to Japanese culture, particularly. Mm-hmm. And for them, the, their biggest way to do that is IP overlays. So, of course, we know that they just opened Super Mario there not too long ago, and it was a huge, it's it's a, a, a enormous expansion. It's the lar- much larger here than the one in the U.S. Right? That's very popular. They have a lot of IPs there, and. Specifically, what they want to talk about in the presentation was not the 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 like the permanent IPs, but what they call temporary IPs, which is 
you know, the temporary IPs that they use for their seasonal overlays, basically. And of course, since it was Halloween time, they taught, they focused in on the temporary IPs that they utilized for Halloween. So, so, so before we get, before we get too deep in here, I have just a couple of quick questions because I honestly don't know. So Universal, Universal Studios Japan, is that a, is that a licensed Universal Studios or is it part of uh, Universal Studios that we know here in the states. It is part of our Universal. Yeah, it it is. Okay. Uh, team members from the from from US will go back and forth, but there is a, a team based there in Japan, and I'd say the team is kind of mixed, right? There's a uh, there's a core team that is uh, Japanese, but they but kind of they have rotating folks from the other parts come in. And then the other question I had was when you stay when you say they want to stay culturally relevant um, with. But they and the way to do that is with intellectual properties. Are the majority of these intellectual properties Japanese focused, or are they just popular in Japan? So, I think they are both those things because honestly, okay. all the examples that they shared were all all anime. <laughs> Okay. okay, good, good. That's what I, I just wanted to clarify that real quick because, I, you know, I know that if, if I'm questioning and I, I have a little bit of insight into this stuff, but if I'm questioning, I just want to make sure that we're being clear with our listeners as yeah, well. So yeah. uh, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that because I didn't, I know that in some countries, for example, um, all of their intellectual properties, all the intellectual properties that are so cool and 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 popular come from other countries. Yeah. Um, and I, and I just was, I was curious to see if that was, if that was the case here, but clearly not if, the, if it comes from anime and of course, you know, Mario and yes. that sort of stuff. So that's, that's great. Yeah. So cool. Sorry. I just wanted to clarify. No, that's, that's great <laughs> clarification. I would say that I think the permanent stuff is, is definitely, you know, Harry Potter's not there, whatever, but the, t all the temporary stuff is either from anime or from local artists. Like there's a song that was composed this year that's from a local pop singer that's very popular in Japan. So they, so I think his point is valid in that, that they have, they're trying to be a destination of choice for locals and for visitors. And if you're visiting Japan, you know, you, you want local, you're for, you know, you're visiting Japan for Japan. You're not visiting Japan for America, right? Exactly. So, I, and exactly. I think, so I think that's, that's very smart of them. Um, they, and, and then they they gave a presentation called Unlocking the Power of IP and Entertainment Programs, and it was presented by Dan Mitchell and Dan Perez from the creative team there. Um, they didn't say anything that our listeners would not be familiar with in terms of the overarching view, right? Um, they talked about how it's cheaper, just like we do. It's cheaper and potentially more beneficial to do temporary installations, which we've talked about. They talk about adaptive reuse is what they call it, which is what we would call utilizing your assets. <laughs> you know, they talked mm -hmm. about the balancing new IPs versus established ones because the new ones can be cheaper, but it's harder to work with them potentially if they've never done something. Established stuff is more expensive. Um, and they just talked about it being helping driving attendance for shoulder seasons. They didn't use the term shoulder season. That's my term. Uh, and then, you know, it, it. they also talked about it helping to basically... Uh, suck crowds away, you know, during peak times into, so everything we've talked about. So, right. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's interesting because I, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned the term shoulder season or lower attendance periods. And uh, I can remember, I just had a very long discussion with um, one of my clients about uh, the, the, the way Halloween events actually started in theme parks. Mm -hmm. And that was to cover the shoulder season between summer and Christmas. But that shoulder season really no longer exists. Yep. Halloween has become such an integral part of it. And utilizing these temporary IPs, as you say, seems to be 
uh, a smart way because you just know you're going to do a pop quote unquote a pop up IP um, for for Halloween and potentially for Christmas or the winter season as well. So it seems like the uh, the idea of lower attendance period that's no longer the Halloween season in most cases. Is that still true? Is that still true in the Japanese market as well? That's a great point. And I asked several members of the creative team and they didn't give me an answer. Um, so I don't have an official answer or at least I didn't want to go on the record giving an answer. Um, I I also couldn't even get from them an, an on the record answer about what percentage of their folks attending Halloween were annual passes versus visitors versus international guests. They would not tell me any of that. Um, what I can say from my experience there at the event is that this almost seems like it is developmentally several years behind the U.S. Halloween events. In that, I sense that this this is still something to fill a shoulder season. That it is it is has yet to come into its own in the way that Universal Studios Orlando is is its own entity. <laughs> if, like, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. I don't think that it has gotten to that point yet. So I, it it feels it just feels developmentally behind in that way. Like like the creative direction for the event as a whole is definitely lacking. And some of the, the spaces are, you know, just a lot of the, the IP it's clearly they're focused on the IP and making the IP integrate into event. They're less focused mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. we're creating an event in and of its own that, that people are coming for. It's more like we're doing something to encourage people to visit. And that thing is IP and it happens during quote unquote horror nights. But honestly, as someone visiting, I would, I would not even know that it was Horror Nights. There are not, there's not signage. There's not banners on the streets. There's not a cohesive design anywhere. I mean, there's barely a map, right? I mean, it's really, it's really like come for our parade featuring Pokemon and come for our Halloween Pokemon dance party featuring DJ Gengar and also come for the Jujutsu Kaisen experience. Oh, by the way, these are for Halloween. (laughs) does that make sense not really so what yeah so what i'm hearing is unlike unlike uh universal orlando halloween horror nights which is almost uh well no not almost is now a brand unto itself as we are seeing in the in the vegas installation um you know it it is a, a brand unto itself this is still to your point at the point of its development where it's let's throw them throw some halloween things into our park mix and see how this uh, how this stands, as opposed to diving into all things Halloween, which you know it may, it kind of makes sense, really, because Halloween is significantly more of an American yeah. uh, holiday slash celebration, anyway. So, if they are trying to remain culturally uh, culturally valid and uh, and connected to the to the local culture, then to be able to say you know here's this this and this which are all japanese in in origin and japanese in popularity and by the way we'll we'll wrap it into that sort of halloween thing yeah. that goes along with yeah it, it could also okay, cool. it could also be uh, but yeah t- i think to your point like basically they're not utilizing the brand of halloween horror nights almost at all to your point. And I think to your point, it could be, mm-hmm. it could be, again, they would not answer me when I asked. So it could be that it's because they're unaware of, uh, uh, you know, of, of what, what it could be, you know, or, or that or whatever, or it could be, it's not popular in the Japanese market, or it could also be 
which is what I, I personally think the reason is because again, they're, they're maybe like a decade behind the U S parks. I think mm-hmm. that it's not a separately ticketed event. So therefore you don't, you almost like don't need to make it a thing. Like if, if, if they were to transition into charging for this thing, then it, there would be a reason to call this thing horror nights and you would have to come up with reasons for people to attend and you would need to program those things. Right. And if you look back at our history here in the U.S., that's kind of what happened, right? Whenever Halloween, exactly. you know what I mean? That, so that's what I mean by like they're developmentally behind. Like, and maybe they'll never do that because of the culture. Maybe they'll never make it. I mean, separate I say, maybe it's not right for the market. Maybe there's not that much draw for it. But but yeah, this is this is no different than many 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 parks went through <clears throat> here in the states, mm-hmm. where it was okay. Let's add let's add some trick or treating stuff, yep. and then let's add some. And, and it, it, it developed into Halloween now in many, many cases, if it's going to be scary or, or more accurately, if it's going to be outside of the family-friendly theme park brand, um, then it's going to be a separate admission ticket. Yep. And, and, so, and, I, and I know that when we made that decision at, at Bush years ago, which was, you know, it's been 24 years since, uh, since Hollow Scream started in Bush, Tampa, and uh, it, it's... It, that decision 24 years ago was a tough discussion to have. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, do we have enough? Do we have, are we willing to brand this as its own separate entity? And the only thing that kicked it over the edge was actually having the idea of this is Hollow Scream at Bush Gardens. Yep. Um, now, it later transitioned into Bush Gardens Hollow Scream, but the, the idea was so that we wouldn't undermine the daytime brand, yep. we would make it a separate admission price so that people couldn't. M- accidentally stumble into something yep. that was was too much for them. Yep. But it sounds like what they're doing at at uh, Universal Studios Japan is they're doing stuff that is is so much in line with their day product that they don't really have to worry about that. Yep. And and they may eventually, you know, discover, hey, here's an opportunity to get a second gate. Yep. Uh, as many parks did here in the in the states. Um Yes, but I don't know. It's just it's just interesting to me to see how how they handle the same the same potentially the same event in different cultures. I agree, and uh, it who knows? You know, they wouldn't tell me. They wouldn't give me an answer either way. So it it sure. might be a market mismatch, or it might be that they're just unaware. You know, of uh, you know, speaking to the creative team, it became clear to me that not a lot of them had visited other events or really, you know even knew what happens at the other universal parks, you know? So, so it could be that, you know, it's like the idea of a second gate is so foreign or, you know, it could just not, you know, or, or they're not sure it would work or, you know, whatever. I don't know, but, but it's just, it, it doesn't lean into that. And to your point about the offerings being integrated. So the houses are open almost the entire day. They, it's not like it's not like they open at night, you know, at six p.m. Mm-hmm. They're open from like ten a.m. to nine thirty p.m. the closing time, and then the only thing that is timed is the scare zones. They open at dark, and there's an announcement that plays for like the hour beforehand, like every like fifteen minutes, that is warning people that the streets are going to fill up in these areas and there'll be startling effects, and you know you might get scared and blah blah blah. So it like mm-hmm. prepares people, and then the scare zones come in for basically the last two hour, two to three hours of the event. So, um, so all the Halloween offerings are available for the entire, for every day. Like they're, they're just normally, it's just like Christmas, right? They're just normally available and open. They're not, they're not. So anyway, um, 
pop-ups within the brand. Yeah, so so the examples that they gave during their presentation about IP, um, I thought I would go through some of them and just give some takeaways. Uh, so the one that I thought was actually the most impressive, and to me is like, <laughs> again, these are things that... Um, it's so impressive. I'm not sure it would work in the U.S. Uh, because of the, you know the cost and and how how uh, how much of a lift it is. And it's something that was only lightly touched on during the presentation. But when I experienced it myself, I was almost flabbergasted. So, so this is the Jujutsu Kaisen experience, which happens in the 4D theater. Jujutsu Kaisen is a relatively new but wildly popular anime series, and it's kind of an action horror anime series. I love it, of course, because it's horror and anime and action and whatnot. So I love it, but it's relatively new. They're only in season, they're air, currently airing season two. And it's very, it, it's relatively adult. I, so it's not for kids because it's, you know, a lot of fighting and blood and and, and uh, demons and everything. And what they did was they designed an experience for their 4D theater, which usually houses Shrek. And the best way I can explain it is that they basically wrote an original full-length episode that you watch in the 4D theater. An episode that is animated for 4D and that is using the actual voice actors from the anime series and that fits with the script. And not only fits with the anime series, but is almost like a canon episode that is like added into the series. So it's almost like it's like here having like something like The Last of Us where they made an episode that you can only watch at Halloween Horror Nights, but that contains mm -hmm. information that's part of the series. Right? So, yeah, yeah. It's completely, and this is, they do this every year with a different series. So they had Detective Conan one time and it was a, a whole case that you, uh, you know, that had had information that actually was referenced later in the anime series in it so it became part of canon i mean it is this is something i'm not even sure it's like i was flabbergasted at, at the depth of this of getting the voice actors writing the script you know coming up with a whole episode making it 4d you know it, which is a separate animation studio to make it 4d for 4d theater it was yeah like well, and and this is the kind of thing. This is the kind of thing that you're right is very very expensive to do here in the mm -hmm. states. However, with an up and coming, um, with an up and coming IP, you know, you have the ability to uh, get a hold of the voice actors mm -hmm. or the the company who owns the IP, who owns the brand, is far more willing to make their their writers or their animators or their voiceover actors available to you because they're still looking at it as investment in long-term success. Yep. So, uh, yeah, this is something that you couldn't do with, uh, you know, a, a long, long-standing IP, which is more expensive to begin with. Um, but I would guess that this is not only a pop-up for Universal to test it and see how it works with their market, it's also a pop-up for the people who own the, who own the IP outright yep. and to say, is this something we can do perhaps full time. I mean it almost sounds like it almost sounds like an audition for uh, a long-term agreement um or perhaps even an agreement with some other 
uh, some other park or or even doing their own live engagement interaction stuff. Uh, but it sounds great. I love the idea of making it sort of uh, this is this is season one point five yep. or this is season yep. you know two point three yep. uh, because it's it's tied into it's tied into the the, the show bible of the whole yep. you know story arc um, and yet and yet unique to them. So yes. I, it, I, there's a lot of advantages to this. There is. There's a lot of advantages. And it gets even better. There are Easter eggs. Keep in mind, this was all in Japanese. So I'm, you know, at best, my translation is Rocky at best. But what I do know <laughs> is that there, it gets better because there were Easter eggs in it. So like at the end of the episode, after the characters have had their battle and succeeded, um, their teacher, because it's it's three school kids that you're following, they're the main protagonists, and their teacher is uh, showing up, and he's like, basically, they're like, oh, well, let's go to Universal Studios Japan, and they talk about how they're going to go to Universal Studios Japan and like ride rides, which is great, and and it's integrated into the story, and then uh, they're basically like, what's our reward? And he's like, let's go to USJ, <laughs> and I'm like, wow, uh, and then they also. Um, he he basically he was like I was just there and he had like a thing of popcorn he like throws popcorn that you can buy out on the street like the popcorn that like the chocolate popcorn that you can buy at the event he like throws at you in the 4D theater love it absolutely love that yeah that's the, see that's the kind of integration of 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 merchandise culinary yeah. uh guest experience that that is is it, just so so impactful it's it, it's sort of like um Back in the earliest days of of Muppet Vision at yep. uh, at Universal, or at, I'm sorry, at Disney Studios, um, Disney Hollywood Studios, they uh, there was one point in time where they actually broke through the wall of the theater and looked out into the park. Um, I loved that sort of seamlessness, and that sounds like this sounds a lot like that's the kind of thing that they're yep. that they're aiming for. However, they've done it in such a way that it's not going to age out quite as quite as quickly. Well, and they've done it for just a what two month run, you know, with an external IP, yep. and what another level steps it up in even if possible and even an extra level right outside of the 40 theater you can buy an exclusive popcorn bucket like with the guy who throws the popcorn at you like in that scene like it's his popcorn bucket you can get outside the theater and you can buy school uniforms the uniforms that they were wearing in the episode out in the merch store i mean it, it like this is excellent. This is A plus temporary IP integration. I just kept thinking this is a month and a half that they did all this work for a month and a half, a thing that's going to just play. I mean, yeah, kudos, kudos. But well, but if it's going to if it's going to help anchor the IP in people's brains, yeah, um, so that it's going to make it so that season two, season three, season four, season fifty, season sixty yeah. continues to be there. You know, it's it's a great. It seems like a great investment in time and in effort, and it also makes it. You know, not only not only is it good for the for the long term of the brand, but also it's it's a great sort of short term makes it cutting edge for the park. Yep. So yeah, yeah. and everything you just said, they did talk about in the presentation when they went through, like kind of you know that. So I think they're all on the same page. Um. They have a few other ones I want to get through quickly. Um, not as much time on these, but they do a Sadoku, Sadoku, which is the Japanese version of the ring. They do an overlay of that on their version of Space Mountain, their like Space Odyssey um, ride. They do an overlay on this one. It's not nearly as immersive. There's really just some, you know, some 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 story and screen changes here and there. And then as you're riding through, uh, you you see. See some overlays of that. They still are doing their biohazard maze, which is from Resident Evil. 
Uh, and you can, it's the same one that they had, I think in, they think they debuted it in 2018 or 19 or whatever. It's still there. And you can choose the two routes of the main characters. And it's very, you know, it's just like The Last of Us. It's a game IP uh, maze integration. Um, however, the big thing for this year was they're doing a Chucky maze, but they're just like we are here. And it's kind of for, you know, because uh, Chucky has a new series on sci-fi. So that's kind of why there's a lot of push for Chucky. But there, they're doing it as kind of like the child of Chucky, and it's an original storyline uh, that's written just for this maze of kind of um, how Chucky's son is like rebelling because he doesn't want to kill people, and he like tries to kill his dad, and then like um, you know you can't kill Chucky, and so he like comes back. It's like this whole fight between like father and son type of thing that's happening throughout the maze, and Chuck, uh, you know, Chucky's son is speaks in Japanese because he's Japanese in this story. Uh, but they did use the original voice actor for Chucky uh, in the maze, and and they had, um, I mean, they used brand new. So so basically, all the fabrication right is is original, but it's made to look like it fits within the universe of it. So that's that's a, another. I guess we you know we don't do it that way in the parks, but it's it's an if you can get the IP holder to agree to something like that. Um, and you and you have the capacity to to work on things like that. It is interesting. Um, the only caveat I'm going to add to that is they added a 4D element into that maze, which um, I don't think helps the story at all. Like, there's no narrative reason for the 4D element, and it definitely takes away from from the the Chucky element. But the Chucky stuff is good, as in like it makes sense. It follows a narrative. It makes sense. It does look on brand for Chucky. Chucky looks like Chucky. His son, you know, looks. I mean, so those pieces fit. So. Well, that's, no, that's, that's great. Well, you know, and what's interesting is when you say, you know, use like utilizing the, um, original voice actors, uh, I've, I've, one of the IPs that I've been involved with a couple of times is the, uh, the Sesame Street IPs mm -hmm. and getting, you know, getting a lot of, it, even when we're doing new shows, you have to work it into the budget yep. because with those IPs, you cannot allow these characters to appear without utilizing the actual approved, yep. Uh, current voices uh, or voice actors, and there's a couple different ways around that. Um, it's it's usually it is done in larger productions, larger, we'll call them full time productions. Um, it is done <clears throat> with a full script and a new recording session, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there are times that, like for smaller uh, inserts for shorter periods of time, they can get um, bits and pieces of character lines and, and, uh, and dialogue from other, from other scripts, mm. <clears throat> other shows, mm. etc. edit them together in such a way to create a unique piece. Now, yes, the actors do still get their residuals for those, um, because they're being utilized again and in a different way, but you don't have to, you don't have to pay the cost of the, the up for, or the, the, the full, um, recording session. Uh, you don't have to bring in the studio technicians it's basically just an editing situation and some royalties yeah. so uh, there's a there's a bunch of different ways to get around that i'm not sure how they did it here i'm assuming based on what you've told me because of the robust storyline that it did require its own separate yeah. recording session it was yeah um but <clears throat> but the idea again once again ip holders love it when you use their original voices because again yeah. just reinforces the the reality of their brand yeah and the last element that they gave an example of that I visited myself was the Halloween Pokemon dance party. And essentially, this is just what it sounds. Uh, it's it's actually fairly long. It's like a 30-minute stage show that is a dance party. And it follows the classic uh, Pokemon beats, like 
Pinky Juice having a dance party. The, the Japanese version of Team Rocket breaks in and tries to take it over, and they summon Gengar. And then Gengar is like, "No, we should actually party with them." And then uh, Pikachu's like, "You can party with us too," and it's a happy ending. Um, but what's interesting about it is they work directly with the Pokemon Company to kind of come up with the storyline for it. So it's a storyline that happens throughout it, and also to choose characters, and they made original costumes for them. So so Gengar is featured because he's the Halloween Pokemon, right? But uh, it's like a DJ Gengar, right? And like there's a DJ Pokemon Pikachu. So then there's extensions of these characters. So you can go, their, their dining experience that's right next door is you can get meals that feature DJ Gengar and DJ Pikachu, right? You can buy them as plushies. So there are extensions of these characters, but these are our original costumes that were made for this Halloween stage show at, that's there at USJ. So it's it's very similar to the Jujutsu Kaisen thing, but it's um, using Pokemon and, you know, just customizing the characters to, to fit that. Um, yes. And the last thing I want to mention, which because I would be remiss if I did not mention this, is a big piece of the their overall event. This has nothing to do with the IP or any of that, but a big piece of the overall event and USJ's philosophy is crowd engagement. And that came up in my observations over and over and over again. And it basically is they're using choreography to engage guests. And I, as far as I can tell, this is a very uniquely APAC region thing because I don't, I, I've never really seen this in the US parks. Basically, a big part of this of all the seasonal activations, and, and not just at this part, but also at Hong Kong and, and around the other Asian region, is like special dances. So there are dances that Universal has developed, and there's like online guides that they've released, and their characters try and teach you how to, to do the dance. So the big thing this year was in the scare zones, every like half hour or whatever, they're all the characters like stop what they're doing. They stop scaring and they start dancing to this song. And if you know the dances, they will like pull you into the dance area and like dance with you. If you know the choreography and they do this for the whole duration of the song and they just go back afterwards, they just go back to their normal scare acting thing. But it happens like park wide everywhere. And every year they have a song custom developed for Halloween. And this year it's show by Edo. And it plays like everywhere, not just in this, but it plays in the Pokemon dance show. It plays in their other Halloween nighttime dance show. Like it just, they just shove it everywhere they can <laughs> and really try and teach the guests how to do it. And it's the same with their No Limit. There's a, there's a, there's a part in the No Limit parade where they all just, the parade just stops and the guests are invited into the parade route to dance with the characters using the choreography that they were teaching you on the way over. And then the guests are told to, to leave and they all exit the parade route and the parade continues, which is a logistical feat that would be utterly nightmare. impossible in the U.S. Yeah. It would logistical, be... Logistical nightmare. So it's funny. I have uh, I have experimented with this. I did experiment with this several years ago for a summer event um, at, a, at, a, at a zoo, actually. Um, and we did do... Um, we did do well. We at the time we did YouTube videos uh, mm -hmm. because TikTok was not as, mm -hmm. as popular as it is now um, to try to help uh, teach the basic dance and get everybody to come out. And it did. It we had less success with it than one might. Than, than obviously they're having there. So I think it is a cultural thing. It's also something that I think is is unique to incorporate in a Halloween event. I think it would. I think it might stumble and fall here. 
Um, although with the with the growing popularity of TikTok dance videos, mm, I could be wrong. I don't know. I, I but it's clear it's clear that it's a cultural thing and works very very well. Um, for for them, uh, another thing that works very very well for us is making certain that we try to stay on our time limit. I mean, we ain't called Theme Park in 30 for nothing, and we are out of time for another week. So uh, on behalf of Philip Hernandez with Gantam Lighting and the Haunted Attraction Network, and myself, Scott Swenson with Scott Swenson Creative Development, thank you so very, very much for tuning in yet again for another episode of Green Tag Theme Park in 30, and we will see you next week. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope, and original music composed by Chris Thomas. We're counting down to Halloween with daily podcasts, videos, and events in our 61-day Hauntathon. Follow along at the link in our show notes. Our Hauntathon is made possible through generous support from Gantam Lighting and Controls. Gantam illuminates attractions worldwide with the world's smallest intelligent spotlights. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. That's gantam.com slash demo. Our Hauntathon team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Omni Adventures. And our content partners for this year include Attractions Magazine, Creepy Kingdom, Freaks of HHN, Haunt Topic Radio, Kevin Heimbach, Muse TV, Omni Adventures, Scare Track, Sharp Productions, That Halloween Podcast, The Horror of Being Emily, The Scare Factor, and This Weekend with Nick Pagliocchini. The best way you can support us this Halloween season is by sharing our Hauntathon with someone you think will enjoy it. And to follow along to our Hauntathon, sign up for our weekly newsletter at hauntedattractionnetwork.com. We'll catch you back here tomorrow and every day until Halloween. Until next time, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.